This is Tony Franklin here. Well, where's he from? Was the firm? Jimmy Page and Paul Rogers. Back in the big head days. You just play that rock and roll. Okay. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah. Just call me Joe. And I can play that rock and roll for This is not a test. This is Play That Rock and Roll Podcast Edition. Yes, hello. Welcome back to Play That Rock and Roll, the podcast. I am your host, Joseph K. And like the song at the start says, just call me Joe. Today is going to be a little different than the last two episodes. Instead of doing a deep dive in the full history of a classic rock artist, we're going to take a more focused look at a specific subject um, in the world of classic rock. Specifically, we are going to compare and contrast the two Las Vegas residencies of Diamond David Lee Roth. This is a particularly pertinent subject as one of those residencies is going on this very month, March 2020. What most people don't realize is that he originally attempted a Las Vegas residency way back in 1995 when he was at a very different part of his career. So we're going to look at the shows he did in 1995 and compare them to the shows he's doing now in 2020. So, let's get started. Here are the Las Vegas residencies of David Lee Roth. So, for those of you who don't know, David Lee Roth is the frontman and lead vocalist of the band Van Halen. And in the mid-1980s, starting in the late 1970s, going up through the mid-1980s, with him at the front, Van Halen became one of the biggest rock bands in pop music. Given how successful Van Halen became in the early and mid-80s, ego and infighting and all of the typical stuff that happens within a band started happening within Van Halen. So in 1985, all of the ego conflicts and infighting and excessive drug use and studio pressure and all the normal stuff that successful bands deal with, the pressure from all that became too much for the band and too much for Diamond Dave. And Dave left Van Halen at the height of their power some point in 1985. Shortly after he left, Van Halen recruited solo artist Sammy Hagar to be the new lead singer of the band. And Sammy and the band continued through the 80s with, the, with, with arguably even more success than that Van Halen had had with Roth in the early 80s. David Lee Roth went forward with a solo career. Uh, with some particularly talented musicians in his backing band, releasing a few albums uh, through the late 80s and into the early 90s. Well, as Van Halen's records typically hit the top of the charts, Roth's became less and less successful each go-round, diminishing returns each time he put out a new product. And as the 80s became the 90s, the glam rock hair metal that David Lee Roth was famous for started to give way to grunge. And his old style of music was becoming out of fashion very quickly. And in 1993, he made some headlines for a rather embarrassing reason. He was arrested for a very low-level marijuana possession out in New York. Okay, so they think that a $35 pot bust for $10 worth of throwaway Jamaican bunk reefer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Which was not embarrassing because, you know, David Lee Roth liked to smoke pot. It was because he was buying weed from the same place that a bunch of college kids were buying from. The thought being, 
shouldn't this A-list celebrity have a better connection than some street dealer? Well, anyway. The year after that, he released an album called Your Filthy Little Mouth, which was a change of style for him. Unfortunately, it was not what the grunge rock audiences were looking for in the mid-90s, and the record was a bomb. It did not sell. And promptly after that, uh, his label, Warner Brothers, uh, dropped him. He sort of joked calling himself a free agent, but in reality, uh, he needed to make some decisions on what he was going to do musically. And that's where Las Vegas comes into the picture. Las Vegas is a showbiz city, and David Lee Roth felt that he could put together uh, a very tourist-friendly Las Vegas type of show. And it may initially sound odd because the Van Halen rock sound isn't necessarily what one would think of uh, when it comes to Las Vegas, particularly in the 90s, but there was kind of an angle where this made sense. There's a part of David Lee Roth's solo career that is directly inspired by the lounge rat pack sound of old Vegas. With these songs, you can draw a straight line from Frank Sinatra and the Rat Pack, Tony Bennett, that whole lounge old Vegas scene directly to Roth's versions. So there was a part of his career that lent itself very well to the old Vegas lounge style um, that that city's famous for. Is this new for you, this Vegas thing? It's brand new. This yeah. is something that we started maybe 10 years ago with the Just a Gigolo and the California Girls kind of element. But Las Vegas is what's new. It's what's happening now. It's very hip, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so in 1995, he made a deal to do a residency show at Bally's. Now, I go to Vegas every year. These last couple of times I was there, I stayed at Bally's. And I like Bally's a lot. It's it's a nice mid-level resort. It's not too expensive, but it's also not, you know, gross or grungy or anything like that. It's a it's a, a really good place to go if you want to go out to Vegas for a good time, but you are being cost conscious. So it was interesting to find out that this is um, where he picked for his first residency. And to Roth's credit, uh, both in 95 and today, he put a huge focus on quality. He spared no expense in putting together what he felt would be the best possible Las Vegas show. He started by putting together a 14-piece band to back him up. Uh, this band included uh, some musicians from, I believe, the Miami Sound Machine, <clears throat> which was a minor pop act at the time, and uh, a sort of a high-profile sideman in Edgar Winter, who would play saxophone and keyboards. And Edgar Winter, you classic rock fans should know, that's you would know him from Free Ride uh, or the instrumental jam Frankenstein. So a little bit of star power going on. So in the lead-up to this residency, Roth and his new band, which he christened the Nonstop Blues Bustin' Mambo Slammers, uh, recorded a new version of an old Van Halen song called Ice Cream Man. Ice Cream Man was uh, never a hit single for Van Halen, but it is very much a fan favorite. So I kind of think that was a, a good choice to pick. The new band covers Ice Cream Man in the sort of this new big band version which is meant to kind of tease the show that they're going to be doing at Bally's. Supposedly, Roth spent somewhere in the neighborhood of $100,000 of his own money for a music video for that song. And that video would be used um, for promotional purposes um, for the residency. That was released in June 1995. The first shows that this band would be playing were not actually at Bally's. They weren't even in Vegas. They were in uh, State Line, Nevada at the Caesars Tahoe Circus Maximus showroom. Now, I don't know for sure, but I'm fairly certain that venue 
at least with that name, does not exist anymore. They were, I guess, basically warm-up gigs. Only two dates, October 13th and 14th, 1995. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner. And Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. So they play those two shows at the Caesars Tahoe, and then a week later, they move to Bally's. And they play at Bally's every day of the week from October 19th to the 25th. And if you saw this show, you would see David Lee Roth perform all those loungy, appropriate covers that I had mentioned earlier. That's live, Just a Gigolo, California Girls. Um, And you would hear him play some Van Halen songs like Jump, that version of Ice Cream Man they did, obviously, and Panama. And also, no other Van Halen songs. So he's playing the couple of covers that were from his solo career and only three Van Halen songs? Playing that little of Van Halen seems more like a begrudged admission that you used to be in the band uh, more than something that you were proud of. So I find that to be a little odd. Um, And then the obvious question is, what were the other songs he was playing? Um, set lists from the time um, show that he filled the space with more covers. For instance, he would open each show with James Brown's Living in America. At some point in the show, Edgar Winter would play Free Ride, which is good. Uh, they, they, they would play Otis Redding's Hard to Handle. Uh, there's a Steely Dan song in here. So it would be the covers he was known for doing, the handful of Van Halen tracks, and then more covers of songs that he felt were appropriate for a loungy Vegas type of show. When David Lee Roth set up shop in 1995, he ditched the crazy fishnets, uh, assless chaps, leotard outfits he was famous for wearing in the hair metal days. He got himself a haircut and he wore just very conservative white shirt, white pants, and had uh, short cropped hair. So he looked very conservative. (laughs) And the show would be these big band versions of cover songs and a couple of Van Halen tunes. 
uh, that would be, you know, in between each song, he would be making innuendos and jokes for the audience. Some people liked this, some people didn't. It, it was very much supposed to be an old Vegas lounge style of show. It was not supposed to be a Van Halen concert. The Van Halen songs he was doing was almost incidental, almost out of obligation to just, yes, I used to be in that band, so I'll, I'll do these, but what I'm really all about now is old Vegas stuff. And at the time, and, and certainly in hindsight, I don't think it was a good look. I don't know that that's what fans wanted. I don't know that the, the Vegas tourists were looking for the lead singer of Van Halen to do like a send-up of old Vegas shows when Frank Sinatra and, and other old Vegas acts who had been doing it for decades were still out there and still doing these shows. I mean, if you're out in Vegas and you want to see that style of show, why not go see the real thing instead of um, Roth's half-serious, you know, send-up of the whole bit? Uh, and if you're a Van Halen fan and you came out to see Roth's show and you got a measly three songs and they're not even the hard rock and guitar versions that you were expecting, but instead these sort of like uh, big band goofball versions, I think that would be quite the turnoff as well. Tickets for this show were sold for thirty-eight fifty, so about 40 bucks. And in a 1,400-seat room, even on opening night, uh, reportedly he'd only filled about half that. And he didn't play to a full crowd the whole week. I'm going to read you a review from the Las Vegas Sun. The review was called, Roth Amusing as Vegas Act, but Irrelevant. It must have been disheartening for Roth to see a half-empty theater, but he was outwardly optimistic, smiling that rictus smile of his for most of the 90-minute performance. Based on the crowd's demographic makeup and its reaction to his show, it would appear that Roth's is an act without an audience. Roth has become the consummate Vegas entertainer, talented and amusing, but sadly irrelevant. And this sort of speaks to what... Las Vegas was considered at the time as far as the entertainment industry was concerned. Las Vegas was still at this time a place where uh, showbiz careers went to die. A place where out of work, burnt out ex-lead singers would go to play for empty rooms in smoky casinos. It was not really a place to be proud of if you're used to being an A-list celebrity talent. That is absolutely not the case today. But at the time, in the 90s, to a degree it still was. And unfortunately, despite the effort Roth was putting into this show, that's exactly what he was coming off as. So he gets through his one week at Bally's, and I don't know if there was ever talk to do another week or another residency, but um, they certainly didn't renew any contracts, and uh, that was going to be it. But at some point, shortly after, or maybe even before, he booked a second gig at the MGM Grand, but that wasn't going to happen until the holidays. So he had some time off in October and November. In early November, he did two shows at the Foxwood Casino in uh, Ledyard, Connecticut. Uh, again, just two shows. And the interesting thing about those shows is, one, that's where a, a lot of Van Halen fans uh, saw this show. Because when they saw that David Lee Roth was coming to town... I'm sure a bunch of them didn't think, oh, that Las Vegas act, David Lee Roth. They were thinking, Van Halen lead singer David Lee Roth, absolutely, we're going to go. And from what I've read on old forum posts, you know, some people who have a high tolerance for Dave's shtick were okay with it, but there were a lot of Van Halen fans who despised this show. And to be honest, I would say that's fair. 
Now, I think the uh, one reason he might have booked that gig at the Foxwoods Casino was he might have been testing the waters to see if um, he could turn this Mambo Slammers uh, show into a bit of a touring gig in case the residency didn't work out. Maybe something like he would bring the Las Vegas experience to other casinos around the country. I don't know if that was discussed or not. Just sort of a theory. So, as uh, he was approaching the second stint at the MGM over the holidays of 1995, The Tonight Show with Jay Leno came to Las Vegas for a week, and they, of course, booked Roth as a guest. In it, he plays the big band Mambo Slammers version of California Girls, and then he sits on the couch uh, with Jay for a bit. The other guest that night was Robin Williams, and I will say thank God for Robin Williams because, uh, and, and Dave should appreciate him too, because Robin bails Dave out of so many bad jokes that did not play <laughs> that it makes the interview uh, worth watching. David Lee Roth post Van Halen is very much an acquired taste. If I'm being honest, I sort of cringe when I see him in interviews because he has this shtick about him where the man laughs at his own jokes before just about before he's done telling the jokes. And, you know, sometimes those jokes aren't as funny as he thinks. <laughs> what is it, the Hard Rock uh, Hotel, Cafe, whatever, they put the different musicians on the, on the uh, chips and stuff. Right. And the $20 chip is like Stevie Ray Vaughan, and the $50 chip is Eric Clapton, and day after tomorrow they're putting me on the bagel chip. Really? Oh, very nice. Well, well I understand that the new Van Halen chip only gets you into the men's room, Jay. Oh. <laughs> oh. If you can't tell with the audio, I don't think most people even got the joke. Like, the audience does not react. And, and Leno seems confused, too. And then just a few minutes later, he makes this little crack about, uh, well, how attractive the women um, in his show are. We've been rehearsing in Miami. Will those girls be in the show? They absolutely will. Really? Come on, those girls could convince Michael Jackson to quit the Boy Scouts. Baby. Really? Really? <laughs> well, you're just making friends all over the place. <laughs> so the interesting thing about that Michael Jackson joke was not that it, again, did not play. People in the audience are really not laughing at this. In 2019, just last year, Roth did a interview with a Las Vegas podcast called uh, Podcats. And in the interview, they ask him about these old shows he did. And he says that part of the reason, or perhaps the reason, um, he did not continue at the MGM was over this joke i got fired for making the joke that my girls dancing i had a couple of mambo girls i was very well into hispanic influence there again mm -hmm. perhaps mm -hmm. a little ahead of my time mm -hmm. and a couple of the mambo girls were dancing and i said look at them ladies and gentlemen so hot michael jackson would quit the boy scouts <laughs> and they they literally fired me for that one. I was out in front with a, a guitar case in one hand and a shopping cart with my costumes and a top hat in the other. That ended the run, huh? That ended the gig? That, literally. Uh -huh. I don't think the MGM saw this joke on The Tonight Show and then, you know, terminated any contract. What I believe he means by this is that uh, he was also making this same very joke as part of his nightly shows at the MGM, and they must have gotten one complaint too many. So starting December 23rd and going right through New Year's Eve, David Lee Roth closed out 1995 by playing this Mambo Slammers uh, big band show at the MGM Grand, which still today is one of the premier resorts um, in Las Vegas. So it was a, a good venue to play. Michael Jackson joke or not, the MGM Grand did not want to continue this show with Roth. Like at Bally's, he was not filling their theater. And when you have an act that's not particularly successful and is also irritating your guests through tasteless humor or whatever else he was doing, uh, that's sort of a hard act to want to keep around. 
So they decided to move on, and Roth, to his credit, saw the writing on the wall. At the end of the day, this was an experiment that he had tried at multiple different venues and had, for all intents and purposes, failed to reach an audience. I don't think he put on a low-quality show. I suspect that a lot of people did enjoy the show. I suspect there was some fun to be had. But it wasn't enough to draw a consistent audience. And he has said that he believes that if the casinos had stuck with him, it would eventually have built one. You know, that's a big what if. It did not catch on. And in the entertainment business, catching on quickly is very important for job security. Now, the good news for Roth was that at this very same time, his old band were going through a whole new set of turmoil with their lead singer, Sammy Hagar. And that relationship had finally hit its breaking point, to which, at some point in 1996, Sammy Hagar left Van Halen under bad circumstances, echoing what had happened with Roth 10 years before. With Sammy out of the band, Van Halen had been talking to Dave about releasing an, a Greatest Hits album, which included some uh, archive material. And now with Sam out, they asked him if he wanted to come in and record, re-record or record some new songs or whatever it was to put on the Greatest Hits compilation. Uh, needing work, and recently, I don't know if Roth gets embarrassed, but recently flaming out of Las Vegas, Roth was happy to sign up for it. And as any Van Halen fan worth their salt knows, this attempted reunion uh, faltered almost as quickly as it started. Basically, they recorded a couple of tracks for the greatest hits, got a round of applause at the MTV Music Video Awards, and then promptly started fighting again to the point that Roth was jettisoned from any potential future projects. Van Halen continued on. They found a third lead singer and, uh, you know, continued through the end of the 90s. Roth departed this attempted reunion to a career low point, releasing a couple of albums that nobody noticed and stayed pretty much under the radar until Van Halen reunited with him properly in 2007. Well, East Coast girls, I am, I really... So that was the 1995 show. Let's move on to what Roth is doing in Vegas right now in 2020. The background to these 2020 shows is actually exactly where we left off, the 2007 Van Halen reunion. David Lee Roth rejoined Van Halen in 2007. They had a very successful reunion tour. I went to that tour, saw them at the old Bradley Center in Milwaukee. Very fun show. The band was in great shape. Roth sounded good. It, it was really enjoyable. And it got a lot of attention. People loved that he was finally back. After that tour ended, the band took a couple of years off and then resurfaced in 2012 with a new album. A new album that was made up mostly of old demos from the 70s and 80s, but still, you know, technically new music nonetheless. And then they toured to support that. In 2013, uh, I saw them again, and the 2013 tour was pretty funny because in 2013, the only U.S. tour dates they played that whole year was one rock festival in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. That's the show I attended. And then some other show, which I also believe was at a festival in Fresno, California. That was it for 2013. Uh, they played some shows in Japan, but as far as U.S. tour dates go, two. So the t-shirt I bought from that show read Van Halen World Tour 2013, two dates. <laughs> like, with something like that, why wouldn't you just have individual shirts for the two shows? Whatever. Just kind of funny. But after that, 2014-2015, they sort of toured sporadically, and it seemed that Van Halen was becoming sort of just another very successful, but just another touring act. Unfortunately, 
after they wrapped up some shows in fall 2015, they came to a sudden and complete stop. There has been no Van Halen action since late 2015, much to David Lee Roth's frustration. Throughout this whole reunion period and and, and in the years past, you know, Roth would always make snarky, jokey comments about the Van Halen brothers, saying that they'll always have their conflicts. But it didn't seem like infighting was the cause of the inaction. Even today, it's very hard to figure out what's going on because the Van Halen camp is very cloistered and very closed off. So there was no Van Halen action from 2016 to 2019. All the while, Roth is pushing for them to do shows. And I guess behind the scenes, they got close to booking gigs here and there. But each time they got close, it would get canceled. Again, much to Roth's frustration. So after it fell through for 2019, he decided, that's it. I'm not waiting anymore. I'm restarting my solo career. And the first decision he made for restarting his solo career was going right back to the site of one of his most infamous, well, hate to say it, but failures, uh, Las Vegas. And he booked a series of shows, three dates in January, and two weekends this March at the House of Blues at Mandalay Bay. And with the announcement of this new residency, he also, surprisingly, made some very bold claims of basically ownership over the Van Halen brand, saying, I'm the face of Van Halen from this point on, most likely. He also said that Van Halen as a band was finished and that uh, Eddie Van Halen is sick. Now, he wouldn't elaborate more on that. He said it's Eddie's story to tell, not his to tell. And to his credit, that's an an appropriate way to, to go about that. Now, regarding these bold claims... Nobody from Van Halen gave any pushback. So, as far as I'm concerned, I guess he's right. He is the face of Van Halen now. They're not working. So he books his show at House of Blues, which is a venue he's played many times before. And uh, to his credit, that is a beautiful venue. Um, I saw the second show in January, and I had front row balcony seats. And I got a good look at the room, and I got to say, except for maybe a couple of standing room only areas, there's not a bad seat in the place. So I think Roth was very selective uh, when it came to picking where he was going to play this new show. Now the band he got to back him up was not the big gaudy Mambo Slammers from 1995, but instead a a small group of talented but relatively unknown uh, rock musicians. And this residency was going to be Roth's first full shows since the Van Halen shows of fall 2015 and his first full solo concerts since all the way back in 2006. When he reunited with Van Halen in 2007, he took that as a full-time job and he did not do any, uh, he didn't do any side concerts as just David Lee Roth as some... Uh, artists with solo careers are are known to do he stuck with the band so these shows in january were going to be the first time he was playing solo dates since all the way back in 06 which is you know just crazy so i'm gonna (laughs) so i'm gonna play you a clip from something called the roth show which he posts on his youtube channel Uh, This is meant to be sort of a hype video to kind of entice you to come out to Vegas to see the show. This should just sort of give you an idea of, like, if you're not familiar with David Lee Roth, like, this is him in a nutshell. So check this out. Party like a rock star. Who do you think they're talking about? Bruce Springsteen, 41 shots. Sounds like a school night to me. Even that kind of sense of humor. Who are they talking about? Ed Sheeran? I'd party with it. I don't want a party like it. We're talking about you, baby! David Lee, going to Vegas. I am you and you and me and we are all together. Yeah! Rolling bones and we finally home. Let's go to Vegas, baby! I don't know what you call that style of talking, but this drives me right up the wall. I know a lot of people love it. 
I I cannot stand this shtick. Um, but you know, I I can't really say anything more than that because, despite my my bitching, uh, I did buy tickets and I went out to Vegas to go. Now I was, as it happens, uh, luckily already going to Vegas. I, I go in January with some friends to watch uh, the NFL playoffs. And as luck would have it, Roth was playing the same weekend um, that my Green Bay Packers were playing. So I got to go out to Las Vegas and uh, uh, visit Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville, Sammy Hagar's Cabo Wabo Cantina, uh, and then the Rum Runner uh, Bar, which is the best damn Packers bar in Las Vegas. And I got to watch my Packers beat the Seahawks. So, all in all, a great weekend. Now, before I did any of that, the first night I was there, on January 10th, I went to see David Lee Roth's show at uh, House of Blues. For the first show for me to see of the 2020s, I feel I picked a good one. It was a great show, lots of fun, crazy loud. I don't know if it was based on where I was sitting with the speakers, but... uh, Near the end of the show, it was so loud it became almost distorted, um, for me at least, close to the end of the night. But I I had a really great time. And there were a bunch of highlights. Um, This wasn't, he did this at my show as well, but uh, the first show of the tour was Elvis's birthday, which is uh, very appropriate because Elvis has strong connections to Las Vegas and also David Lee Roth has some stylistic connections to uh, Elvis. Um, and I know he really angled to get that date. And he didn't do any Elvis songs, which I must say, I think I would have liked. But he did wear an El- a goofy Elvis wig for a little while, and that was kind of funny. That said, I, I-, I think he should have played an Elvis song, or maybe a snippet of one. Um, as far as the set list goes, this is probably the biggest difference between what he did in 1995 and now. The show he did now... Of the 19 songs or so, I think like 15 of them were Van Halen songs. So he's not doing the old Vegas lounge act anymore. Now he is relying on his own catalog of what people know him for. He's not trying to adapt to the city. He's trying to present himself to his fans. And he's, he's not playing to just any you know las vegas tourists walking through he's hoping that his fans are going to come out to las vegas for a party weekend or whatever and bring their party to his show which is more or less what i did so as a van halen fan who's seen van halen a couple of times i was very happy with the song selection and unlike the dates he did back at bally's and mgm in 95 the show i was at was a full house and uh, from what I'm seeing with how, how there's no tickets available for these March dates, I'm guessing he's going to get a full house every night. And the tickets today, even with inflation, are much more expensive than they were in 1995. So he's making a lot more money today than he did back then. There's only two things I guess I would gripe about regarding the show. The first one was, I guess, because I went to the January dates. Um, There wasn't any merch available, and that was kind of a bummer. I would have liked to have bought a shirt. The problem with this show is that David Lee Roth is not a great live singer. His vocals were not very strong for most of the night, and there were certain parts of certain songs that sounded downright bad. I recall a couple of points where he was doing this weird... It was like he was shaking his neck to vibrate his his throat to hit certain notes, which I'm sure is, you know, an old singer's trick, um, which is probably only done in desperation. The only time I've ever seen anyone do that particular thing in concert was back in 2014 I saw Kansas with their old lead singer Steve Walsh and I remember him doing that weird throat thing and thinking it was not very good and then no joke a week after that show he announced he was retiring from from the band so seeing Roth do this was not reassuring 
and there were a couple of songs that maybe he should have swapped them out for different ones because he just he just couldn't hit the notes. Now, some defenses of this stuff is that Roth has always been a better frontman than a vocalist. If you listen to Eddie Trunk of that metal show, he'll tell you that even in the heyday, Roth was never a great vocalist. He he would sing well on the records, you know, thanks to good producers, but when it came to live shows, he was the front man, the Toastmaster General, the, the star of the show. Um, he played that better than almost anybody else. But when it comes to just the brass tacks of singing, um, a little lacking. I remember Van Halen's 2013 Live at Tokyo album got a lot of ridicule. Uh, for Roth's vocal performances. There's a radio station here in Milwaukee that played clips from it, and they were just laughing it up in the studio because of how bad he sounded. And that was six, seven years. <laughs> you know, that was recorded seven years before these shows. So I don't know what a band can do to get around this when the focal point of the show is having serious difficulties with his primary job. I know the band played a lot louder as an effort to cover up some of that, and to a degree it worked, but that only goes so far. I've seen videos from his recent touring dates opening for KISS that he's probably using backing tracks and maybe lip-syncing on certain parts. A lot of fans would complain about that. I don't necessarily think it's a bad idea, but... Um, yeah, it's tough. It is sort of a thing where, like, if you go to this show, you have to be prepared and you have to be okay with that he's not going to sound great. Some songs he'll sound fine, but some songs where he has to hit long and high notes, you're going to, if you're paying attention, you're going to notice. But to his credit, I should say that of all the shows I've seen over the years, I've almost never seen a crowd come alive like the House of Blues crowd did when he started the opening notes of Running With The Devil. That was a genuine rock god moment. Classic David Lee Roth, classic Van Halen. So there, despite his vocal shortcomings, if you like Van Halen at all, there are going to be some great moments. Again, when he played Jump, again, that was the crowd got into it like crazy. For me, my favorite solo song is, is Just Like Paradise. So when he played that, I was really surprised and, and really happy for it. So the question is, do I recommend it? <laughs> That's a good question. So if you're going out this March, right now, Mandalay Bay... I wouldn't necessarily plan a trip around it, but if you're going out there for like March Madness or a bachelor party or just a vacation already, if you're already going to go to Vegas and you're looking for a show to pick and you like Van Halen, yes, it's a good venue. Mandalay Bay is a beautiful resort. I remember before and after the show, my friends and I went up to the foundation room there, got that beautiful look at the city at night I really enjoyed myself because it's not just David Lee Roth singing you get all kinds of things that surround the show he'll have merch now uh, he's been touring with Kiss so there's some um, there's some thought that you know with, with now that he's getting into a routine and he's had uh, many nights worth of practice if you will he's going to be in better shape for these shows I don't know how much that's worth, but uh, something to consider. Hopefully there'll be some slight changes to the set list, but not too many changes because it, it was a good set list. It was a, it was a full, hearty Van Halen show. The only issue I might, I might have is some of the tickets get astronomically expensive. There is a jump ticket package uh that runs you 700 bucks for two seats 
Now, it's a VIP package, but good lord, that's a lot of money. So, yeah, that's my recommendation. If you're out there already and for something else and you're looking for a show to see and you like Van Halen, yeah, there'll be a couple of moments where maybe his vocals aren't the best, but at the end of the day, I think you're going to have a good time. And I remember when I was out in Vegas, uh, my friends and I got picked up by an Uber driver to go to a casino and the Uber driver asked if we had seen any shows, and I mentioned I went to this one. And his response, without me missing a beat, was, Oh, I heard that sucked. <laughs> My friends got a big laugh out of that. So to recap, I would say in 1995, he was sort of ahead of his time in the sense that a guy like him could have some real success in Las Vegas, but the Las Vegas of 1995 was very different in the Las Vegas of 2020, and I and I think that town just wasn't ready for him yet, and I think his decision to sort of mimic what old Vegas was simply did not play well for that time. Now in 2020, so many acts, particularly classic rock acts, have had really successful um, Vegas residencies. He's no longer in front of a trend. He's just riding a trend, but it's a successful trend. The template for success in Vegas now is building on your own hits catalog. Don't get weird with it. Keep it simple. Play the songs the fans want to hear and they will come to you. And that's what he's doing now. And then the last thing is I just sort of wonder will there be more residencies in the future? I have to think there will be because this is very successful and it's very common for these successful residencies to move from casino to casino. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if at the run of these March tour dates, if he renews the contract and does more shows at the House of Blues, or if he's booked um, at another resort, particularly the Wynn. Uh, just paying attention to when I go out there, it seems that the Wynn uh, is, has no problem booking acts that have proven to be successful out there so that would be what i would look for next i i, I wouldn't be surprised if roth got to play play at a, another venue like uh, you know the venetian or or the win and it's not just that he's having success i think this is what david lee roth loves david lee roth loves to perform and i think he loves the city of vegas he likes mid-sized venues he likes a place with good sound and a good experience for the audience he's very fan friendly uh in that respect and i think he really likes the idea of doing residencies because it gives him lots of time to practice and then also review and improve his shows i think quality really is important to him and that's why it makes me sort of sad that his vocals are this ongoing difficult issue because that's the one thing you can't really fix with practice. But in every other aspect of the show, I feel he's going to do whatever he can to put out the best product possible. So that's it. That's the difference between 1995-2020. In short, uh, you know, I'm not sad that I never got to see the 1995 show but I'm uh, certainly very happy that I was able to make it out last January to see the second show of these 2020 dates. If you're in Vegas, if you live in Vegas, or if you're vacationing there, I think you should check it out. Um, and if you're not able to make it, well, I hope this video helped shed some light on what this whole thing is. So with that, let's uh, do some housekeeping here. I just wanna say I, I got a lot of the information um, regarding these shows uh, from various online sources, but also from this book, Everybody Wants Some by Ian Christie. This is a great book uh, for any Van Halen fans. So the next episode we have coming up is going to be a two-parter. It's going to be looking at the life and career of Joe Walsh. It's going to be a two-parter, just like the Steve Miller episodes, so I think that's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, I guess it's very appropriate to say that our intro song for this podcast is I Can Play That Rock and Roll by Joe Walsh. So Joe is absolutely an artist that I keep very close to my heart, so I'm very excited to be talking about him next time. I'd like to extend a thank you to the fretless monster, Tony Franklin, for recording uh, a brief little uh, cameo message for us that we played at the start of the episode. And then I'd also like to give a shout-out and a thank you to another podcast, the Not Politically Correct 
NPC podcast uh, that just recently had me on as a guest. Uh, it was a great time to talk about this show. It's hosted by some dear friends of mine, so I'd like to give them a shout out and say it was a it was an honor to be with you, gentlemen. And then finally, please follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and the YouTube channel. You can find us at Play That Podcast on Twitter, and if you search at Play That Podcast on Facebook, the page will come up. And if you just search in the YouTube bar, Play That Rock and Roll, you'll either find our current channel or our old channel, which will direct you to the current channel. And of course, if you're listening to us on iTunes, please rate and review us. It's so important in these early episodes, but it's it's much appreciated if you do. And like I've been saying in these last couple episodes, if you enjoyed this at all, please stick with me. Please hang on because it's only going to get better from here. I have a great year of podcasts planned out for us. So like I said, each show I'm going to get a little bit better. So please stick with me. And of course, thank you very much for tuning into this one. I hope you'll listen again next time. So with that, Diamond Dave. Play us out. And best of luck with your new podcast, Rock the World with it. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.